Happy Halloween week. Leah Pika here. Today's guest is a woman in analytics who might already be gracing your Measure podcast airwaves. Stay tuned to find out who's rocking the radio on the Present Beyond Measure show, episode 38. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hello, and welcome to the 38th episode of the Present Beyond Measure show, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to tell data stories that make maximum impact and become indispensable through thoughtfully presented insights. A slightly belated boo. I hope Halloween was gleeful and safe for you and your families, and that the scariest part of your Halloween was that decadent candy pie and maybe not a candy pie chart. That's much scarier. I just got back from headlining Digital Analytics Hub in Austin, Texas, which was amazing. Wow, what a unique event. I now understand what all the fuss has been about for years, you know, with its intimate number of attendees and the very frank and open conversations during these huddles. You know, it really stood out for me and I feel so energized after all of the amazing experts and practitioners I got to meet. So if you have a chance to attend DA Hub next year, I really recommend it. Next month, I'll be heading to a tiny island off the Netherlands called Texel for the Conversion Hotel Conference. Sounds really cool. I'm very excited about this one, too. I think they're almost sold out. So if you're a CRO in Northern Europe, I would love to meet you there. And the link for that will be on the show notes page for this episode. And finally, if you're an analyst, marketer, SEM, SEO, CRO on a small team or a solo consultant, and you're interested in equipping yourself with a master tool belt of my most effective data storytelling, presentation, and visualization techniques, please visit leahpika.com slash bootcamp, one word, to sign up for an early spot in my Inspired Insights Bootcamp virtual web class. <laughs> it's a mouthful. You know, this content is usually only offered to private corporate workshop students, but I'm opening it to the public for the first time on a beta uh, basis so that you can get empowered with the toolbox you need to tell data stories for impact from the convenience of your own desk. So this is a chance to get in on the ground floor on something really small. And you'll also help me shape this content and experience for future practitioners. So please check it out. Again, it's leahpika.com slash bootcamp, and I'm excited to see you there. All right. So I am so excited about today's guest because when I first met her, she was just getting started in this measure business. And today she's a household name in the land of measure podcasts. Let's go. Hello, everyone. My amazing guest for today leads the analytics team at The Iconic. 
Day-to-day, she focuses on understanding customer behavior through data and analytics. She's an active organizer in the analytics community, serving as president of the Analytics Association in New South Wales, Australia, yes, and co-hosts a bi-weekly podcast, you may know it as the Digital Analytics Power Hour, on all things analytics with my dear friends Tim Wilson and Michael Helbling. She is a strong advocate for gender and cultural diversity, organizational mentoring, and networking. And I'm thrilled to have her as my next guest in my Women in Analytics Spotlight. I'd love to introduce you to Mo Kiss. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I feel incredibly privileged to be here. Oh, well, the honor is really mine. The forces of our podcasting power have now joined. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, Mo, we first met quite a while ago, all the way in Australia, when I came to do the Loves Data Conference, um, analytics conference. And, you know, we had met through your sister, Michelle, who I don't know, is a somewhat well known member of the analytics kind community. of big deal, you She's know, on the up and up and up, you know. Um, but we I felt we connected so strongly. And I still remember that conversation so much because you were just diving into the world of analytics. I think you had just made a career change. And you were figuring out whether this was for you. And now fast forward to today, you are co-hosting one of the most popular, probably the most popular analytics podcasts in our space. So it's big most kudos to you. Most popular explicitly rated. We use that <laughs> caveat. Um, it really helps us it's with our numbers. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a pretty crazy journey and I have learned so incredibly much. Um, I'm so grateful that conversation for me, and I, I remember that trip for me was so incredible. And I think back to it now, because um, Simo Harbour was also there, mm-hmm. and I met Tim Wilson, and Jim Stern was there, and all of those people have played, yourself included, played such a big role in the shape and the direction that my analytics career has taken, um, that it kind of, yeah, sometimes meeting people and getting to speak to them really early on when you're figuring things out, I think is really beneficial. Yeah. I mean, having the luxury to talk to that group that early, (laughs) I think a lot of analysts would love that. And, uh, all of them, I mean, that, that trip was truly, that lineup was truly amazing. So, you know, I'd love to know in terms of not just the practice of analytics, what actually inspired you to start getting out there and doing public speaking? Oh, okay. Um, it was actually that conference that inspired me. Um, so I, I watched you speak and you were probably the best speaker that I've ever seen. Um, Yeah. And I remember (laughs) sitting there. And the thing is that people don't realize I speak a lot um, internally at my company and at Web Analytics Wednesday um, and conferences. And people don't know that I had like a very chronic fear of public speaking. Mm. I mean, to the point that I would shake so badly that I thought Mm. people could see. I wouldn't sleep for two weeks. I avoided doing wedding toasts. Like that's how kind of gripping... (laughs) My fear of public speaking was, and I remember sitting there in the audience watching you talk about your journey um, from kind of where you'd come and and 
the passion that you had for the subject matter that you were talking about. And that's kind of where I clicked and was like, okay, I can do this too. Um, I can overcome this. And it was, it was actually, yeah, that, that presentation. And that's why I think that conference sticks in my mind so much is because, um, it was the first time that I really was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do what it, what it takes. And it's taken me a couple of years and so, so, so much practice. Yes. Um, and I just, I, I really want to encourage people that this is, I don't think this is a skill that most people have naturally. I think it's a skill that you have to really work at and learn. I think maybe in my whole life I've met one person who public speaking comes very naturally to them. Um, but other than that, every person I know, like yourself and Jim and even my sister and Tim and like everyone that you you look at who's a good speaker in our industry, it's from hard, hard work and yes. saying yes. Um, so yeah, I, for me, it was very much a determined, like, I'm going to crack this. I'm going to set this personal goal. Um, and yeah, like three years later, I'm not going to say like, I still get completely nervous. <laughs> oh, good. You're a human. Yeah. And actually Jim, Jim said to me when we were over in, um, Hungary, he goes, Mo, if you're not getting nervous anymore, you're not doing it right. Um, but yeah. I think one of the key differences that I've really worked on is channeling that nervous energy mm. into enthusiasm. Um, and I think that you can you can harness your nerve nerves in a really productive way to make you a better presenter. Um, it doesn't mean it's not scary, but um, I think it was both you and my sister who just kept hammering home like practice, 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 right. um, and that I think like that's my biggest advice and the better you know your content the more comfortable you be especially when you're starting out well first of all I am incredibly humbled by that sentiment I um it never it never ceases to amaze me that you decide to take a crazy leap and get up on a stage and think wow do I possibly have something to offer these people because in that presentation, I was so early in my speaking career that I was like, I can't possibly have anything valuable. Who am I to be up here? And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you bring something so unique and special. Each person has such a unique and special lens to what it is and voice to what it is they're doing. And I'm 100% in alignment with you on channeling those nerves into enthusiasm. That is word for word. That is what I tell my workshop <laughs> students to do. I'm not kidding. I'm like, did she steal that? What? No, well, um, maybe, maybe I heard you say it at some point. No, but I mean, it, it's, it is a tactic. I'm sure I picked it up from somewhere, but I think that is so important. And I love what Jim said, especially because he's such a masterful speaker is that for me, once you start getting too comfortable you and you don't get nervous anymore you are not bringing that that as much passion and drive and i believe that the speaking should constantly almost keep you on an, a razor's edge of just between comfort and discomfort because you're mm. going to feel alive in that space and you're going to grow in that space and even if i i've found even with some of my 
my signature keynotes, I've given them so many times that I, I live inside them that I have to make these little tweaks just to keep myself on that edge. So I, I maintain that, uh, energy, you know, but loved everything that you said. And, you know, do you have any other things that you do to overcome nerves, which I totally relate with you on. <laughs> so I think, I think you told me at some point that before, oh no, maybe I heard it on the podcast before you present, you often do some yoga, stretches, yes. <laughs> a bit of mindfulness um, and meditation. What I do before I go on stage um, is actually the power pose. So oh. I don't know if you've ever seen Amy Cuddy's, um, you, uh, she has a TED talk on the power pose. I think I've heard of it. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. And people at work now know me because I will often say to people, like, especially if you have a big meeting that you're going to go present at, if you are getting up to talk on stage, it kind of, if you have something that you're a little bit nervous about, um, basically the concept that she talks about is if you stand in a position that makes you powerful. So think like Wonder Woman or <laughs> Superwoman or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes do a nice lunging power pose, whatever the position is. Um, if you can stand in that, you actually trick your brain into thinking that you're uh, confident. So mm-hmm. instead of being nervous, it's basically, it's, yeah, it's kind of a trick on your, your old mind. Um, and now it's something that I associate with like, yeah, okay, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to go get it. And sometimes I do it in the bathroom, um, which is a bit <laughs> oh, embarrassing. Next to where I'm in. doing my parapost. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen Amy Cuddy's video, I really recommend it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of my tip for just before you go on. But I know every, lots of people have their own little rituals. Absolutely. And I was actually going to mention this before. Um, Eric Feinberg is still one of the top guests that I had in terms of the sheer number of tips he had for presenting more confidently. And he's a masterful presenter who makes it look so easy and natural. And he gave me one of my still most quoted lines from that show, which is there's nothing natural about a natural looking speaker. You know, he had musical theater experience. I had a ton of musical theater and opera experience, and I still would panic before a presentation because it took practicing that specific mm-hmm. content to get comfortable and live inside of that. And it, and it, it is a skill. It, you can have raw talent, but you must hone it and, you know, refine it in order for it to be really a tool. And I, mm. I don't believe that a small subset of ultra-human super, superhumans are the only ones with it. I really feel it's, a lot, it's alive in so many of us, just untapped. Yeah, I think it's even that you need – it's something that you – a skill that you have to reflect on a lot. Um, so especially mm. – like I will often go back and watch videos. It's really painful and awkward. <laughs> but you, you catch – the phrases that you keep saying or the way that you're standing. And um, I actually was, I did a a course at one point um, previously in my career about how to deliver training. And one of the things that the guy got me to do, which I've actually found really useful is that he put little spots on the floor so that it would encourage me like in a triangle, encourage Mm -hmm. me to step at different points between the three spots. Um, The other thing that he taught me, which I loved. These these are some of like the little tips and tricks. Yeah. Um, he, and I've actually, again, talked to Jim about this before, about using your voice to 
like sometimes get a little bit faster when you're trying to create that excited energy. So when you're about to be like, oh, okay, and I've got this amazing finding and I'm going to share it with the business. Sometimes you can <laughs> use speed in a really effective way to get the audience really excited. Um, and likewise, you can slow down or soften your voice and get quieter when you want the audience to really like yeah. almost lean into mm. you. Um, and so I've started watching other good speakers and you can see when they're doing these things, the audience lean in or they put the phone down or um, that are really giving you that body language. And I've, mm. I think that's why you have to go back and watch because you don't see those cues or remember those cues when you're on stage because you're so bloody nervous right. that it takes until afterwards where you can be like, oh yeah, I did that well. How do I make sure I do that again next time? Um yeah, it, like, it really is an art form, isn't it? And it's a real exercise in bravery to go back mm -hmm. and watch yourself. This was one of the ways that I used to practice. I would record myself and then use that to practice when I couldn't speak out loud. It would help me internalize the content. And then mm -hmm. I remember hearing that I would switch the first consonants of two words backwards and forwards. And even when I had one of my recent podcasts transcribed, I said the word so at the beginning of every sentence, if that were a drinking game and the word was so, <laughs> we'd be in the hospital. <laughs> it's funny though. And so <laughs> you swap words. You're, I would you make like really two words like, effort. like red. I hope this doesn't go awry, but like brown dog would be down brog or something. The, the, con <laughs> the first consonants of two words, I would switch them and I had no idea that I was doing this. And I also noticed things like up talk when I would sound like I'm asking a question when I'm really, and that hurts people's confidence in you because they're like, are you asking me? <laughs> so, well, you know, that's actually an Australianism. So oh, people yeah? always accuse Australians of doing that when they speak. <laughs> Um, that everything sounds like a question. So you'd fit in at home here. Perfect. You'd be perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, um, that's all, this is all amazing. I love these very actionable tips that you're giving the audience. So I want to change gears and talk to you about taking, taking an analytics practice and taking your expertise in something and going from that analytics reporting squirrel term that Avinash has coined and starting to leverage presentation into a path to thought leadership. I call it going from grind to guru, basically. And you've clearly shown that path, I mean, in terms of establishing yourself in this field. So I'd love to know what that looks like in, at your current organization. Uh, thank you. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not, I think we all suffer from a little bit of um, imposter syndrome. And uh -huh. um, so it is kind of tough to think of yourself that way. But I, I think it just comes down to a little bit of bravery and understanding and kind of this is the trade that I've made because I want to learn more. And in order to learn more, you need to get feedback from people who are not just people within your organization, especially mm -hmm. people who are doing similar jobs at other businesses. And so the only way you start that conversation is by sharing what you're doing. So most of the times that I talk about stuff, I talk about my work. I talk about the challenges of a particular analytics task. I talk about my findings, about the methodology, 
because if I don't share what I'm doing, how can I expect to get any feedback on it? So for me, I suppose it, it came from kind of a selfish place of wanting <laughs> to to grow mm. um, and being a little bit vulnerable. And I think we we kind of we, – we were actually talking about this on, a, on our podcast about whether analytics – um, practitioners are too hard on themselves mm. and that sometimes we need to be a bit nicer and I definitely think we're we're pretty tough on ourselves that sometimes it's okay if you share something and you haven't got it right I mean if some if it starts some amazing conversation with someone halfway across the world world that can help you fix that that bit of code or answer that question better then I'm kind of all for it and you kind of just need to give yourself a break if you did make a mistake and be like yep I'm going to cop that. And I do it all the time, like on a, on the digital analytics power hour where I say something and I listen back and go, oh, wait, I know better than that. Um, <laughs> but that like, that's okay. That's part of learning. I, yeah. And I just, I, I think if you are passionate about analytics and what I didn't touch on earlier is the whole reason that I transitioned into digital analytics is because my sister worked in the industry, but she kept talking about all these really nice people that helped <laughs> each other out. She like all of her friends, her partner, um, all work in analytics. And she would always be saying how like this person that works at this different company was giving her hand on something. And I just thought yeah. I want to be part of that community and so for me, I suppose I don't think of how do you become a thought leader at all. Mm -hmm. It's more just how do you keep learning and how do you keep giving back to that community that are so incredibly supportive of me? Actually, I really love that reframe. And I, I think I meant it in terms of people, certain people will be okay doing reporting and, and are okay with that space. But for the people that want more and are not sure how to just get grow and get more out of, you know, they're passionate about something and they want to talk about what they're passionate about, but they don't have an outlet for doing that. And learning how to present can, I find, really pave mm -hmm. a path to that. If, like what you said, you can work around this very real condition called imposter syndrome, and I'd love to dissect that a little bit. You know, I, I can remember, actually, it was in Australia when I was really just getting started, someone down there had bought a ticket to the show, because I was going. And I was like, what? Why would you? That was probably me. No. <laughs> That's sweet. It was not you. Um, but I, I just thought to myself, I'm like, why would someone do that? And it, it's the first thought that you have in your mind. And it's, it's quite a, it's quite a detrimental thought because we really are our own worst critics. We really are always judging ourselves on the thing we didn't say or forgot to say and think, what could we possibly offer that is unique? They must have heard this before. This is what I grappled with. They have to have heard about pie charts before. But many didn't, and I think the key is no one's heard it in your specific voice mm. with your experience, right? So how did you start removing some of those blocks and uh, imposter syndrome blocks as you became more visible? I think, yeah, it's, it's such a tough one because – I don't think that imposter syndrome disappears. Oh, no. The way <laughs> that I have 
tackled it is so my family, we moved all the time growing up, like every two or three years. And whenever I moved somewhere new, I made a deal with myself that I would say yes. I would say yes to every single Mm. invitation. I would say yes to every party, every whatever it was. I just became a yes person because it's the quickest way to make friends and settle in. If you, you, you'll always find a a reason to say no. And Mm. I used the same method when it came to moving into analytics. I said yes to everything, (laughs) even the times I was completely terrified. Um, And I think by, by just becoming, if, especially if you want to get out there, if you do want to move into that, how do I become like, I guess, grow my profile in the community or speak out about something I'm really passionate about. You need, the only way to, I think to do it is to start saying yes and put your hand up as well. So when you get asked, you say yes, but you also need to volunteer. Like I walked into measure camp, um, not measure camp, web analytics Wednesdays. And there was this group of like guys at the front of the room, massive nerds in the T-shirts. They all <laughs> knew each other. And I remember the first time I got up to ask a question and I was petrified. Mm. Like I was shaking. I was like these, you know, all these people have worked in this industry for so long. Um, what, you know, what are they going to think of my question? Will they think right. it's stupid? But you just have to start getting up. You have yeah. to start. And I st- like the easiest way to do it is to volunteer because then you get to know the people. Then you might be like, oh, actually, I know something about that topic. I can add value. Like join the committee, um, you know, help organize measure camp, like get involved with DAA, whatever it is. Like, and if you don't like speaking, that's okay. You can do a blog or yeah. A podcast or something different, but you, you, the, I think that the, the step, first step is to make a deal with yourself that you're going to put yourself out there. Right. Oh, these are all so great. And, you know, I want to actually talk about the specific way you guys have of exchanging information at the iconic because it's, I think, leveraging something that has been popularized by <laughs> another notable figure in the online marketing field. So would you like to speak to that a bit? Yeah. So when I joined the iconic, um, I, I basically got told I was never allowed to use a PowerPoint, (gasps) which was really odd because I'd come from an agency and I was really good at using PowerPoints or Google slides or what have you. Hmm. And so the way that we communicate all, um, analysis and major decisions is in a memo which is something that Jeff Bezos started at Amazon and we've adopted. At first, I was I really recoiled away from this practice because in a memo, whatever visual you come up with, it doesn't actually take center stage. It's often secondary, which is the complete opposite. Wow, interesting. Yeah. But what I found which is really interesting for me personally is that because you have to write a memo and there's like kind of one page of memos, it can't be more than six. You have to really craft the narrative behind your analysis. Mm. And that has actually been a really good skill for me because you have to think so much about what's the question that you're trying to answer. What are the key points of your findings? What decision do people need to make off the back of this analysis? And and then put that together in a written format, which is very different to being able to speak to it. And we still we will still go through the graphs and all that sort of stuff in our meeting. 
Um, but through this process, which I so didn't enjoy at the start, and now I'm I see the light. The thing that's been really good is when I've actually come back to do presentations externally, that format has helped me much better create the narrative before I start my slides. So mm, interesting. I used to, yeah, I used to kind of just be like, here's what I'm going to talk about. And then, you know, you bang your slides together and there's no <laughs> clear outline. And this is something I remember reading lots of your um, blog about at the start. <laughs> and the process of memo writing is very similar to structuring a really good presentation. And so in writing all these memos, I've, I feel like I've gotten better at here is exactly what I'm going to talk through in my presentation from here is the question I was trying to answer. Here's my methodology. Here are the important findings mm. and creating a really good narrative. So, yeah, while I was initially reluctant in uh, hindsight, it's worked out pretty well. This is so interesting. I'm going to have to look into this format a bit more because what I've tried to do is for my students is create a overlying narrative structure on a linear presentation medium, which is challenging because what my practice used to be, which I think is pretty common, is we'd get asked to present something and then we'd just start taking screenshots of charts or dashboards in Excel and dumping them in one slide after another and not really taking a step back to the, the bird's eye view to understand how do these slides stitch together? What is the thread of the story that's pulled through? And with this structure that I teach, it's based on something called the presenting by boxes method by Olivia Mitchell. I'm sure I've mentioned it on this show, but it basically creates a sort of memo if you fill it out in the format that it's supposed to come in, where it starts with your introduction, has an overarching message or headline, and then builds out, uh, supports that headline with the evidence of the story underneath. And that whole brainstorming outline and structure has no visuals to it whatsoever. It's all in one glance. But it's this sounds kind of similar because now you are forced to think about how you are telling a story without just relying on a crutch of, and then this slide has a chart, and then this slide has a picture. Kind of and the funny thing I've noticed as well is, and I'm sure that I've heard this from you, um, the concept of a McKinsey title where your <laughs> yeah. insight is the title. Yes, that is something I've actually taken into my memo writing where, and we've had some interns at the Iconic that I've had to help coach on this, where they'll they'll put like the heading for the paragraph as like demographic split in Australia. And I'm like, that's, why would you bold it as a heading? That's completely boring. Like yeah. you want the heading to, of the paragraph to be the inside, which is actually something I learned from doing better presentations, which I've now pulled into my memo writing, because the truth is like, even if it is a one to six page document, people skim read. And so you want them to read the heading because that's the most important bit. Right. You're absolutely right. You want to think if, if, a, if the executive got called out of the room right now, could they walk out of that room with the most important message of that meeting, or would they not have a clue about what you're talking about? Um, the McKinsey title, yeah, is, is a key tool in my tool belt. And one of the analogies, I love to use like storytelling with greatly told stories to contrast with what we're actually doing in meetings. 
And it's like, you know, if I put up a headline, if I put up a slide where the title was story about medieval people with dragons flying around, or, you know, it's something that happened in Game of Thrones, this just happened in Game of Thrones, which one is going to be more compelling and interesting? It's not going to be saying this is a show about medieval people with dragons running around. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's going to be what's actually happening, not what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a f and I kind of challenge people to give it a go. Um, Jeff Bezos has written a whole bunch of stuff publicly on the concept of memo writing. But even if that's not something that works in your business, it, you can even use it in your email. Like if you're sharing results via email and um, getting in that, that frame of mind of having that really good narrative of what is the question that we're trying to answer? What are the key points that the decision maker needs to know? What are the key findings? And really getting yourself to understand how to be concise and then um there's a lot of leeway with kind of what sections we include and don't include, but my favorite is always next steps because mm. what's, what is the next step that we need to take from this? Do we need to make a decision? Do we need to make a change? Like what is it as a business? And, and I, it, it puts so much more credibility and weight behind the work that you've done and gives it value versus just, you know, here's, here's an Excel sheet that I did some stuff on and you figure it out yourself. <laughs> I, I totally, oh, you are speaking my language right now. Yeah, but I feel like that's because I'm a child of the Leah Pika school. So <laughs> I've just put all of the stuff that I learned from you into practice. I know I'm not going to tell you about it. Like I agree with you. everything you're saying right now, Mo. Everything. <laughs> you are my greatest student. <laughs> Great. No, I mean, but I mean, I think what if you're making an, a company like Amazon work efficiently with the monstrous mountain of data they work with, you have to focus on conciseness, brevity, focus. And that's what I love about some of the tools that we're talking about. It's, it's about bringing focus because so often we're asked to just bring campaign results. So we'll bring every metric we have about campaigns one after the other, hoping one of them will stick when instead we're not looking past that initial request and saying, what are three questions I could ask the data that would make my stakeholders' life better this quarter? What would make them a win this quarter? What would get them their, like, thinking about from their own needs? And I also think there is a glut of presentations. I, I get asked so many times, we're asked to do a one-hour presentation every week of a dashboard. And I'm like, okay, I'm seeing a lot of mismatches there because if it's a dashboard, Hopefully it's self, it's designed in a way to be self-driven, but also, you know, what is happening as, is something happening as a result of that? You know, like what, what can you do? So as an alternative, I've given people an option of condensing to like three major points they have in their analysis and writing a little, writing a major headline in an email and then writing a blurb about three data points with a little visual, just so it's, there's something for the eye to grab onto. But I found that to be an excellent replacement for really unnecessary meetings. It was actually funny last night, I was sitting with a marketer who came over and I was so excited. This is my face. She's like, Mo, I'm so like, I'm really sorry to bother you and interrupt your day. And I was like, 
this is my favorite thing. So she had a, um, a Google sheet and she's like, we're trying to make this decision. And this is all of the data that we need in order to make the decision about whether or not we make this change. Um, but it was going into a really high level, like 2019 strategy, strategy document that I've been helping our CMO on, which is just massive. And I was like, they need like this much information to make that decision because in the greater scheme of the document, Mm. it is tiny. Uh, (laughs) And we went from like, I think there was 24 lines of different data points of every single metric under the sun. There was bounce rate, there was page views, there was screen views, there was page value. Like, I mean, you name it, it was (laughs) on this sheet. And I just kept like, we just kept sitting there and pairing it back and pairing it back and pairing it back until eventually we had like six lines that were really easy to compare. Mm. And I was like, and then we just put a sentence on the top to summarize why we're making the recommendation that we're making. If anyone wants more information, like, you know, your stuff, you can answer those questions. That doesn't mean that you should include all 24 lines in (laughs) in the document. Um, And it's legitimately my favorite thing to do. Um, Yeah. Just love it. Yeah, just getting it getting it down to the separating the wheat from the chaff is really the yeah. practice, right? So when you're watching other presenters, either in, in your own organization with these memos or outside, I, I know you attend your fair share of industry events. What do you see that presenters are getting right when they are grabbing your attention and they're leaving you feeling like that was worth your time? Oh, this is, oh, I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really passionate about leaving the audience with things that they can actually do. Um, pretty much if I'm not super interested in a presentation, I'll start working through it, which is awful. And it's a really hideous practice. <laughs> if I'm really excited about it, you can tell because I'm tweeting and I take notes and I'm really engaged. Um, but I, I think there are still so many high level talks and I don't know if maybe it's the stage that I'm in at in my career, but there are too many high level talks. The best talks, the ones that I find the most value in is where people are really honest about one, like their failures, what didn't work when they tried something, what did work, what the results were, because that's the stuff that you actually go back to your desk and go, okay, I can do something with this. Um, so I saw, I've seen some really great presentations about like different AB tests about, um, technology stack changes, but it's, it's always about being vulnerable and Mm. sharing what you're working on. If you give me some like really high level stuff about like machine learning's amazing and we should all do it. <laughs> like I'm probably not going to be super keen, but if you're like, hey, here's a model I built. Here are the problems that we faced. Here's how we put it into production. I will be all over it. That's to me like the best kind of presentation you can do. Oh, man, I, I'm totally, I'm um, once again, totally in agreement with you. <laughs> you need to like invent some controversy here. I know. Um, I love pie charts exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, no. So <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I think that part of this whole mission that I went on was born out of seeing very well-intentioned, aspirational and abstract talks Mm. about things 
And especially in the realm of data storytelling, a lot of the content online, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, but what do I do now? What should mm-hmm. I do when I sit at my desk? So the three questions when I'm crafting a new presentation, the three questions, let's see if I can remember them, it, it, that your audience is asking is, why am I here? What are you going to show me that I don't already know? And what am I going to be able to do by the time I leave? If you if you haven't created a presentation with those three questions answers to those three questions, you run the risk of having an audience going, "What just happened?" <laughs> At the end. Well, I especially think time is so valuable, and there are so many yeah. industry events nowadays, and it's actually really hard to find time to learn the new skills that you need to learn, whether it's a new language or a new tool, to go to events. Um, and I just think people's time is so incredibly precious that like the worst feeling is when you take a day out of the office to go to a conference and you walk back being like, eh, um, yeah. And some, yeah. And I just find there, there's also still a shocking amount of people who work in data and analytics that think it's acceptable to put like 50 points on a slide. (gasps) Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) well, it's all, it's, it's what everyone else is doing around them. And they're just not taught any other way. It's like any other life skill that college doesn't really prepare you for. Lots <laughs> of you know, I just feel like some of this stuff it it's not hard. So where where does the mismatch happen? Mm, the intuition. Yeah, I I because honestly, I started getting really passionate about data visualization, like pretty much straight away when I moved into analytics. And I think it was because um, my sister was like, you need to check out Leah Pika. You'll love her. Um, <laughs> and then I, I picked Thanks up a copy this. of um, the book you recommend Slideology, which is mm. like my Bible. Mm-hmm. I still, I even give it to like UX people who are all over it. Oh, and yeah. love it. Um, I give it to anyone who will pick it up. Um, so it's a topic that I've always been really passionate about. And I don't think that I've perfected it. I think I could do better. Um, but it's something that is so fundamental to how do you make someone understand all of this hard work that you've done? Because that's what analysis is. It is hard yeah. work. It's slogging. You've got to clean data. It's not easy. So the most important bit is do they actually understand it so that they can go and action whatever it is they need to action? And if we don't do that right, well, I feel like all the analysis in the world doesn't matter. Yeah. And I would even, I'm going to call you and raise you and say, (laughs) what about presenting so well, something so clearly, concisely and succinctly, and with such a high confidence level that you made it look easy, that your Mm -hmm. stakeholders like, wow, I have a feeling that was hard, but man, they must be so good that they made it look easy. I will say though, that in our industry, one thing that's plaguing me a little bit is that sometimes at the moment, and I think the whole like, you know, machine learning and AI Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff, sometimes people, I think they need, they almost want it to be complex. Like it's so hard (laughs) and, and I'm still figuring that it out. So if you come across any tips, I'm keen to hear them. Um, where almost your stakeholders want to know that it's really complex and they can't understand uh, it and it's in this black box. That's, I think, a tricky hmm. conundrum that's starting to face the industry that maybe didn't exist. And I don't know if that's the same in the US, but in Australia, um, 
sometimes people want complex for the sake of it. And Matt Gershoff is someone who often speaks about like, sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. Right. Um, you need to guide your stakeholders towards that. But I don't know what that, what is that drive? Is it just because it's cool now? Maybe. <laughs> well, there, I wonder if there's a couple things at play where if you keep yourself at arm's length from something that seems really complex, then you're not accountable for understanding what's really underneath. Um, you mm. can, you can, you can defer that response. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you can defer that responsibility and saying, I'm not even going to know enough to be dangerous. So I'm going to let you handle that. But, but I know that it's very complex and yeah, it is the buzzword right now. AI machine learning is, I'm still wrapping my head around how that would affect data storytelling and, and the kinds of data you s tell stories with. Um, but I think that there is a tendency to latch on. It's like the latest version of the iPhone. There's a tendency to latch on to these newer concepts and they're like Christmas presents wrapped under the tree. They're shiny and you have no idea what's in them, but they're all you can think about. <laughs> so I don't know that that's my one take is thinking about it that way. I think that's a pretty good summation. <laughs> Just a guess. So I want to actually transition to a special section that you are, I believe, my second guest for this. So I'm starting a new spotlight on women in analytics where I'm featuring the most well-known, respected names in our field. And I love that you're a part of this. Um, so, you know, in terms of, it, it, there's not a question that we still work in what I would deem to be a male-dominated industry. And yet there are so many women being celebrated for their accomplishments in this field as well. And I want to know, like, what do you think are the keys to success for you in terms of being a notable woman in the analytics industry? The key to success. Or like what, what were some of the stepping stones that, you know, you were able to use that maybe surprised you? One, so I often talk to women, um, basic, and it's, I guess, more of a, I don't know if you want to call it inspirational talk or like the, here's what you should know if you're career transitioning or you want to grow in data and analytics. One thing I have never been ashamed to use is my networks mm. and women are traditionally not good at that. They feel bad about asking people for help mm -hmm. and we just need to get rid of that crap. Because it, it is that like guys have always used their networks professionally and it's not a dirty word. The reason that I um, got to have really incredible conversations with you and Tim and Jim, that conference is because I just had a bit of guts and I asked. Mm -hmm. It's not because I was any less deserving that, or more deserving than anyone else in the audience. You, you need to call on people and ask them for favors and help and, the funny thing is people like helping people. It makes other people feel good when they can help you. So I think I know crazy, right? Um, so use your networks. If you are not sure of something and there's someone that is willing to put a hand out, take, just grab it. Um, I always say like the first job I ever got in analytics was actually through my network. That doesn't mean that I was inexperienced or unqualified. I still had to turn up to the interview. I still had to get the job and convince them to give me the job. 
Um, but I just think sometimes particularly women are really reluctant to, to call in the people they know. And if anything, um, on top of that, think about how to grow your network. How can you help other people in the same same position that you were a few years ago because it also makes you feel good too. Oh, you could, I, for me, you could not have recommended a better strategy than asking for help. (laughs) And for me, you have touched on what I think is one of the greatest catch 22s that is plaguing the corporate world in general, which is, and, and I learned about this dynamic in this very thought provoking and it, not everyone is ready for it, but it's called The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong. And it's about a code of language you can use to tap into how men tick um, from a woman's perspective. And it's it can ruffle feathers if, if a person is not in an open-minded place when reading about it. But one of the most valuable things that I had to work around is this idea that I'm independent, I am capable and I can do everything on my own, especially everything a man can do. And in reality, that might be true. But one of the most productive things I have found is learning especially how to ask men for help or more importantly, if they offer help to accept it. I was the I was always denying men's requests to help me. Oh, I I got it. I got it. It's totally fine. But what we don't always understand is they need to help us. They need to be able to offer help and, and allowing it to be received by us is something that actually like enlivens them. And, and it's this whole breakdown that I see in the corporate world because we do want to establish our strength and our capabilities. And we, we're afraid to seem weak if we're accepting that help. So. The funny thing is that sometimes the person who's giving the help can also learn a heck of a lot by helping someone as oh, well. Absolutely. Um, which is, yeah, there's, I think, um, positives on both sides. Yeah, that's great. And did you have any setbacks or struggles that encounters that were related to, you know, trying to make your way as a woman in this field? Or did you find yourself just having a great go. Yeah, I've definitely had setbacks. I've had moments which have been inappropriate or unfair. Mm. What I would say though, those things, they, they throw you back and, um, can feel like kind of almost like a bit of a smack in the face where you're like, Whoa, I didn't know that this stuff still happened. But I think it's really important that we don't dwell, um, particularly as women in this industry and not share like get out there and talk about war stories because the truth of the matter is I don't think it's fair. Um, I think that men and women should be treated equally. I think they should get the same pay for the same work, all Mm -hmm. of these um, different things. But like, that's also a bit of life. And sometimes you have to focus on playing the hand that you've been dealt. You might have a worse hand than someone else, but that doesn't mean you can't still have an amazing career just because you had a few bad cards. So um, what, what I would suggest is focus on how can you drive change rather than complaining about what's gone, gone wrong in the past. Um, and 
I think the driving changes is often about having frank conversations, letting people know when um, something makes you uncomfortable or something, um, you know, wasn't reasonable and that sort of thing. And those can be hard conversations. But if you come at it from the perspective of, I don't want another woman in my team to go through something like this or to have that experience or whatever it is. Um, I think you can normally find a really good solution. Whereas if you, I find if you just kind of complain and this is fair of any problem, people just kind of get sick of it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's an amazing mindset to have. You know, I'm always trying to help people focus on what is going to be productive as someone who used to be the queen of ruminating over things and resenting things and complaining about things, you know, instead of resenting the situation, what can you do to be inspired by that situation? You want to get to that position? What do you lay out the plan that's going to get you to that position? And, and as my mom would say, stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. <laughs> and focus on yourself, young lady. She's Romanian. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom sounds like a very smart woman. She is the smartest I've ever met and very wise, you know, and it, it's it's about being inspired for me. So, yeah, nice. um, you know, to wrap this part, one of the things I love to do is really send the love out into the world. Is there an example of a woman and a man who were really excellent support systems for you as you went on your path? They're going to be so cliche, I know, but I decided that I still had to go with the the people who have been the biggest support to me. And um, unsurprisingly, my sister Michelle has mm. just been incredible. And one of the really nice things um, has been that as we've been at different places in our careers, um, and like particularly, she's probably been less on the technical language side we've been able to like kind of return the favor at lots of different places. Um, I mean, she used to get some really stupid questions from me <laughs> um, and she's always just kind of sucked it up. Occasionally sent me a, let me Google this for you link. Um, but she has just been like a complete rock and I, I wouldn't be where I am in analytics without her support. Mm. The other person who gets so awkward all the time whenever you talk about him, <laughs> particularly in the context of supporting women in analytics is Tim Wilson. Um, he, he's just a damn overachiever. I think the man doesn't sleep because I don't know how yeah. he does all the stuff he does, but he is so giving with his time. Yes. Um, and he throws so much of his his self into everything he does, whether that's mentoring someone, whether it's the podcast that we do together, whether it's even just me whinging to him on Slack about and needing some advice on something. Um, he he really is um, grumpy, but also <laughs> the most supportive, beautiful person ever. Oh well, if he's listening right now and he's not already. 12 shades of purple, I'm going to make it much worse because if I had it to will. give, <laughs> if okay. I had to give my shout out, it would also be to him. He's actually responsible for me deciding to create this business, you know, and inspire, like making me think like people would actually want to learn this stuff. And it hasn't stopped since there. And, um, I agree with you. If anyone in this industry has the privilege of encountering Tim Wilson and his grumpiness. <laughs> They'll be forever changed in the best way possible. 
That's right, Tim, talking about you. So anyway, I call the next segment the upgrade, which is power tip uh, or resource for doing our job of presenting data more awesomely. So do you have a quick tip to share? Mine is, and again, I feel like sometimes the stuff that I've learned from you is intertwined with people you've recommended and um, another really amazing woman that I follow a lot of is Donna Wong um, from the Wall Street Journal. Um, So I I actually can't remember who first told me this one, Um, but it is basically when I start my analysis, and this created a fundamental shift in how I did things. I now automatically change everything back to black and white or grayscale okay. mm-hmm. when I'm doing analysis. And the reason I th- it's so easy to be in Excel or in Tableau or in Data Studio and the colors just come automatically and you keep them. But the reason that I think this is a power tip that is really crucial is how much the color influences your interpretation of that data. And it also then can interpret, um, can influence how you visualize it. So like soon as you get it into some kind of graph, go back to grayscale and then only choose to add the color when it's actually, when you've worked out what point that you're trying to make with that specific graph. Um, that's my like number one gospel that I follow. <laughs> I love that tip. And it's actually in my main keynote and funny story. It never came clear to me how powerful a tool that could be until I did digital summit a few months ago. And I had my fully colored graph, which people are accustomed to seeing. But then I took the color away, set it to gray, and then just highlighted one data point. And a gasp went throughout the room. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I never saw a reaction like that. And when I asked people after what resonated for them, they're like, the color, the color, the color. It was like this eureka moment of Mm. what can happen when you use color as an intentional tool rather than just an arbitrary decoration. Love that one. All right, this is our wildcard question. So think hard here. Imagine this very plausible scenario. You're cooking at a family reunion potluck when suddenly you trip and fall into a rip in time that pulls you back to the moment you're about to walk in to do your first presentation. What would today you say to yesterday you? It would have to be about harnessing that nervous energy. I would say something about um, how basically giving myself some advice that I'm going to hit it out of the park no matter what, but use your, your nerves to be enthusiastic at key points during the presentation because that's something it did take me really some time to learn how to do that. And I think had I been able to harness that earlier, or maybe better, I would have kind of been on my way a little bit faster. And that's only something Mm. that I learned with time. So past me would definitely have been grateful to know that tip. But I also think just, you're going to do an awesome job. You really are. (laughs) And that's the thing when you get up in front of people, you're petrified. Like you're convinced that everyone can hear the quiver in your voice, the shake Mm. of your hands. The truth is no one else sees that stuff. It's just, it's, it's just you. Um, yeah. So Unless they're in the letting myself row. know that, hey, you're going to kill it. <laughs> you're going to do great, kid. Yeah. 
pretty much. Oh, I love all of those. Oh my gosh, Mo. I wish we could talk for the rest of the my evening and your morning. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, our time has run out. So I would love for you to tell listeners where they can keep up with you. Yeah, pretty much on Twitter and Measure Slack and Roundabout. Um, Yeah, getting around most places. The podcast, (laughs) of course. Um, The Digital Analytics Power Hour. Um, And happy for any feedback. If there's topics that people want to talk about or they're interested in, reach out and let me know. Awesome. And all of the links and resources, everything we talked about today is going to be on the show notes page for this episode. So Mo, I just want to thank you so much. Like I said before, the conversation we first had, I don't know, five years ago now, never left me. It was one of the most rewarding experiences I had from traveling all the way down there as a first. And um, just to watch you progress and make a name for yourself in this field. But like you said, from a place of service, you know, you generally want to help people and serve them and help them grow. And I resonate with that so much. So it's really been an honor to have you on today. Thank you. That's incredibly kind. And really, I feel very privileged to to be on the podcast and chatting with you. Excellent. Well, till we meet again. Isn't she awesome? What an inspiring episode. So much for me, and I really hope for you as well. So to catch all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode, please visit the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 038. I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting data. And if you like what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating or review. Ratings and reviews are extremely appreciated because they affect the rankings of the show. And I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. And following the theme of this show about traveling the path from reporting squirrel to thought leader, I invite you to be one of the first to join my brand new Facebook data storytelling community for digital practitioners. It's called Grind to Guru, and it's a gathering for professionals like you who want more out of their careers by learning to present data stories that inspire action and build credibility. And you can easily get there by going to leahpika.com slash Facebook. And today's presentation inspiration is from someone anonymous, someone out there. And they say, the hardest battle you will ever have to fight is between who you are now and who you want to be. I want Mo's story to speak a message that... You don't let your own limited beliefs about what you're capable of stand in your way. The next time you look at someone up on that stage and think, ugh, I could never do that, I challenge you to stop and respond with, oh, hell yes, I could. Here's to the path. That's it for today. Stay warm. Namaste and namago. It's a wrap. <gasps> Talking video time. Oh, so cute. Hi, puppy. <laughs> Headphones. Can't be fashionable and functional. Going bananas. Paired to like sit in the sticky awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs>